I'm just so happy to be here, really. I was here in August, I guess, um, on my official book tour. And um, it just makes me so happy to see this community gathering and all the programs that are, are being offered and the, the establishment in, in this place of um, a center, which can be so supportive. I don't know how Gil feels about it all, but um, <laughs> I was just uh, at Spirit Rock on Monday night, and Jack reminded me of a comment that somebody made when IMS had its 20th anniversary, which was some years ago. And that was, uh, he said that he, the thing that amazed him about IMS, uh, the Insight Meditation Society, was that it had been founded and had grown and was flourishing without any adult supervision whatsoever. <laughs> and that's definitely how we feel. So I'll ask Gil how he feels about it all. But somehow it all just happens and it works. And, and uh, we get to come together and, and practice, which is wonderful. So today is a day of loving kindness, which is fun for me and I hope fun for you. Um, We'll have uh, time to talk together and do questions and answers and uh, sit and walk and just spend the day in that kind of flow. Somebody once said to me when I was teaching loving kindness that he absolutely detested the practice because he said it reminded him of a continually enforced Valentine's Day. You know, like on the count of three, you will be filled with love. And um, I think that comment expresses so much of the kind of assumption we might make about the force, the factor of loving kindness, that it's sentimental, that it's gooey, that it's somehow being in denial of the very real pain and conflict that we might be experiencing that might you know, be existing externally to us, that somehow loving kindness would be the ignoring of some very difficult feelings like anger and fear and guilt and grief and covering them over with just this little veneer of this kind of sickly sweet sentiment as though to hide what we were actually feeling. And of course, I don't think loving kindness means any of that, even though it it is a very common set of associations. The word in Pali, in the language of the original Buddhist text, is metta, M-E-T-T-A. And if any of you have been to our center in Massachusetts, IMS, you'll know that in the front of this building, in very large letters, it says metta. When we first bought the building in 1976, it was owned by the Catholic Church. Um, good. <laughs> they have good real estate, actually. <laughs> um, the Fathers of the Blessed Sacrament were the order that were managing the property, owning the property. And, and that's what it said up above the portico, Fathers of the Blessed Sacrament. So in February, we moved in in Valentine's Day, we got some poor guy to get up on a very tall ladder. And we said, see if you can rearrange those letters somehow so that it will say something that means something about us, what we want to represent to the world. So we got up there on this ladder in the freezing cold and rearranged the letters and came up with metta. And then, of course, we had endless discussions about that. This was a time when, um, you know, we were just bringing over a tradition that we had all learned in Asia 
to the West, and it was unclear just what we were going to do. We had big debates. Should we have Buddha statues? Should we not? You know, it was just like, um, it was very complex. And so we had big debates about this word because it's a foreign word. And people would say, well, you know, it doesn't mean anything to people here. Why don't you just put up something in English? And, um, but I was always of the point of view that I really liked it. And my point of view does not always prevail, but in this case it did. And I like it because when somebody calls for directions, like the UPS delivery person or somebody like that, we say, it's a large brick building with white pillars, and it has this word up above, meta. And then they usually say, what does that mean? And we get to say, that means loving kindness. That means love. It's actually a difficult word to translate. One of my hopes has always been that the word metta itself will somehow infiltrate into the culture. Because loving kindness, while I think good, um, is a somewhat awkward phrase. We don't often hear it in casual conversation. So it makes it the quality seem a little precious or arcane, something like that. Sometimes the word is translated as love. And while that also works, it's extremely complex. We mean so many different things when we say love. Sometimes we say love, we really mean attachment. We mean a sense of dependency or conditionality. I will love you as long as um, you love me in return, as long as you behave in the following 15 ways. And I once used that example and somebody said, only 15, <laughs> you know, <laughs> that's not so bad. But that's not really what metta means. And sometimes we use the word love, and it is in that sense of sentimentality, which can actually be a kind of ally of delusion, of pretending to be something we're not, really. And metta certainly doesn't mean that either. The most literal translation of the word is friendship. So it means developing the art of friendship first toward ourselves, and that means all aspects of ourselves, not just those parts of ourselves we really like and that we proudly present to the world, but also those parts of ourselves we feel a little bit unsure about, a little bit out of touch with, and those parts of ourselves we find kind of um, disheartening or frightening, all aspects of ourselves. And ultimately, it's the art of friendship toward all beings everywhere. And it's so tricky. What does that mean? If it doesn't mean a sentiment, it doesn't actually, I don't believe it means an emotion. It doesn't mean a feeling. I think what it really means is, is a worldview or a vision of life that includes rather than excludes, that is open rather than closed, that is connected rather than disconnected. That's really the nature of loving-kindness. It's the way we see things. It's actually a factor of attention in a few different ways. One way, it's actually a fullness or a completeness of attention. I have a friend who once went, this was many years ago, we were living in India, and he once went to see this very great, eminent Tibetan lama who was the 16th Karmapa. That was his title. His... Um, successor, you might say. Uh, the 17th Karmapa was in the news a few years ago because as a 14-year-old boy, he escaped from Tibet and crossed the Himalayas into India. But this was the previous one, the 16th Karmapa, who was extremely renowned. And uh, my friend went to see him, 
in Sikkim. And he said that the Karmapa greeted him as though his appearance were just about the most important thing that had ever happened to the Karmapa in his whole life, which, believe me, it was not. (laughs) And he said that the Karmapa gave that impression not through great pomp and circumstance or, or grandiose flourishes. He gave that impression through an absolute completeness of attention. So that, my friend said, being paid such full attention, the subjective experience of that was one of being completely loved. As soon as he said that, I thought regretfully of all the conversations I have where I'm kind of listening and I'm kind of thinking about the next thing I need to do or the phone call I need to make. And and I realized, you know, it wouldn't take that much just to actually gather my energy and arrive and be there. And that really is like a gift of love. So I see metta, that that force of friendship, as a factor of attention in that it's a more complete, whole attention. And it's also a factor of attention in that it involves paying attention to parts of ourselves, to other beings, other people, that we might more um, readily ignore overlook, look through, disregard. The classical progression of metta practice is one, as we'll we'll go through some variant of it today, where we begin the offering of metta to ourselves. We move on to somebody we care about deeply, a friend, and then somebody who's known as the neutral person, and that I want to talk about for a few minutes because I think it also expresses what I mean by metta being a factor of attention. A neutral person is somebody we don't strongly like or dislike. We find them kind of neutral. It may, and very commonly is, somebody that plays some kind of role in our life. Checkout person at the supermarket, bank teller, gas station attendant, kind of people that for all we stop to recognize that here's a living, breathing human being who wants to be happy just like we do, they might as well be pieces of furniture. They're really like objects to us. The practice of loving kindness is one where we choose a neutral person, we bring them to mind. And we wish them well. So in effect, we're paying attention to them rather than ignoring them. And it's amazing what happens. Here is this person whose story we don't know, so the particular sorrows or challenges of their life aren't what ignite our care, our interest, our, our compassion. And they haven't maybe done us a huge favor so that we feel obliged to wish them well. They're really just like this generic living being. But if we pay attention to them, over time there is a sense of connection that is forged. And I find it both remarkable and one of the most um, charming aspects of doing metta. It's really my favorite part of doing metta. It's like having a secret love. And the best stories, in some ways, often come out of this this part of doing the practice. One of my favorite stories, I'm sure some of you have heard me tell it, is about um, uh, 
this time when I teach a, a loving kindness retreat every year in Barry in February. Um, and this friend of mine sat this retreat, and we went through the classical progression in the retreat. And I didn't see her again for about six months when I was teaching another retreat in New Mexico, and she was also there. And she came up to me in New Mexico, and she was all kind of like beaming and shiny, and she said to me, I've fallen in love with my dry cleaner. <laughs> and I said, really? How nice for you. And then she said, no, no, not romantically, but he was my neutral person back in the retreat that I did in Barry. And every day when I meditate, I bring him to mind and I wish him well. Should now I go into the store and I can't wait to see him, you know, and see how he's doing. And it means something to me. And, you know, I don't know if she ever learned his name even, but that recognition is forged through actually paying attention, that care. And then, so this was maybe like six years ago, seven years ago, something like that. And then a couple of years ago, I was writing an article about loving kindness for a magazine, and I wanted to use the story, and I ran into her somewhere. I hadn't seen her in a long time. I ran into her, and I asked her, you know, can I use the story, and can I, can I mention your name, your first name? And, and she said, oh, yeah, definitely. And she said, you know, I still go into that store, and it still means something to me to see how he's doing. It's so interesting to me, you know, that just by awakening, being there, that sense of connection is forged. And that's really what loving kindness means, rather than um, an idea of kind of warm, gushy feeling or a particular emotion, which I think actually limits it. It is much more that recognition. I was once um, teaching retreat in Barry, and uh, at night I was asleep and I had a dream that I was teaching a retreat in Barry, which wasn't the exciting part. <laughs> but in the dream, in retreats, we uh, maybe here too, we you know we see people periodically to talk about their practice, and those are called interviews. So in my dream, I was doing an interview with somebody, and. They asked me in the dream, why do we love people? And I responded in the dream, because they recognize us. And just then I woke up and I thought, hey, you know, that was pretty good. (laughs) You know, there's some truth to that. There's that feeling of being recognized, of being seen, even if not in terms of a distinct personality, just some regard of a sense of respect or or welcoming or opening. That is in the nature of love. It's in the nature of metta. We practice that toward ourselves, a benefactor, someone we feel grateful to, a friend, a neutral person, then a difficult person. And ultimately, for all beings everywhere, without distinction, without exception. And it's important both in terms of metta for the difficult person and for all beings to try to get some felt sense of what that means because it doesn't mean complacency, it doesn't mean apathy, it doesn't mean allowing oneself to be hurt and not fighting back, it doesn't mean letting other people be hurt or abused or oppressed and not trying to make a difference. Those are all associations, again, we might have with that word. And people have said it for a long time. You know, I don't want to have a loving heart because if I had a loving heart, I would, I would necessarily be weak. And 
um, you know, all kinds of things would happen, and I would just smile, sort of stupidly. And yet it's not that at all. It really is much more of a question of that kind of recognition and a recognition of our interdependence, whether we like that or not, so that our actions, and I'll talk much more about this later, our actions can be formed by, by wisdom and can be born out of motivations that are strong and clear and are truthful, take into account the truth of things as we respond and as we um, do take action. A few years ago, maybe, I don't know, like five years ago now? Um, no, a little less. Um, I was really sick all winter. I had the flu, which turned to bronchitis, which uh, kept recurring as I was traveling around and teaching anyway. <laughs> and... Uh, I got so sick that I actually broke a rib coughing. And then I was out in California. I tell the story, actually, in my latest book, In, in Faith, um, in another context. But I was out in California, in Southern California, in one of those places um, where um, you're in, like, hot mineral baths that are supposed to be very healing. And uh, strangely enough, my friends and I, who were sitting there, we're having a conversation about uh, fear. And I had the audacity to say, you know, it's been a really long time since I felt really, really afraid, since I felt the kind of fear that just goes right down into your bones. And sure enough, within an hour, uh, the bronchitis had turned to asthma, which I'd never had before. And I had the first asthma attack of my life, and I was completely terrified. Um, you know, and that kind of went on, and, you know, I tell the story in the book about faith and the context of what happened that night and kind of faith emerging and dealing with the fear. But, you know, that went on, and finally I started to get better. And I was back in New York City living there, uh, and I was walking down the street one day when I heard a woman's voice saying, I've been really sick all winter. So naturally, I felt a kind of kinship <laughs> to her. And I turned around, and this woman was talking to a street person, giving him a whole bunch of money. She said, I was really sick all winter. I had pneumonia. It kept coming back. I just couldn't kick it. And now I'm finally recovering, and I just want to share the joy. So she gave him this whole bunch of money. And I thought, God, I just walked by that guy, you know, like two seconds before. And it didn't occur to me to share the joy. And then I thought, should I go back and give him money? <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> what should I do? You know, um, and that's not to say it's always appropriate to give somebody money. You know, but it's that recognition that this person's life has something to do with mine. That's the important point. You know, how one responds and what seems most skillful in any situa situation will depend on lots of factors. But that's the moment of not walking by somebody as though they weren't a human being, of realizing our joy, our sorrow. It's all connected, all of us, that our lives are not lived so separate, so alone, so cut off, no matter how we might feel. That's not the truth of things. 
that we do live, we exist in a vast web of interconnectedness. So all of that is the practice of loving kindness. It's not trying to make ourselves be something we're not. And it's not trying to disguise very difficult feelings or very difficult situations and pretend there's something else. But it's opening our view of life so that we can look at ourselves, look at others in that light of recognition, of connection, and truthfulness, the truth of how interconnected we all are. Because of all that, I think the practice can really be a lot of fun. You know, if we define loving kindness as an emotion, then we tend to bludgeon ourselves for not feeling the right thing. But if we think of it as a vision of life, then we're just continually opening. And we have problems, we have difficulties, we deal with them. It's all about that kind of learning, learning the truth of things. So we can really... um, have an easeful heart right from the beginning in doing the practice. The practice of loving kindness is done through the repetition of certain phrases that are expressions of the heart in terms of what we might wish for ourselves and ultimately wish for all beings. That's why they're very general, not like, you know, May I get a good parking space tonight? (laughs) But something bigger, you know, like may I be happy? Um, Whatever it might be that is personally meaningful for you. And we say the phrases again and again not to uh, kind of insist that that be our experience, but as a place to gather our energy behind, as an articulation of the heart, as the planting of a seed of intention, as a blessing. That instead of, for once, instead of judging ourselves and chastising ourselves and being so hard on ourselves, we're actually wishing ourselves well and then going on through that progression. It's playing with the factor of attention so that it's an adventure, it's an exploration. What happens when I look at myself in that way? when I look at this other person in that way. We don't know. And so we, we set out to find out. There's a, an ease in doing this practice. We say that the practice is meant to be done in the easiest way possible. And that is often confounding. You know, you have to continually give yourself a break. If you're offering loving kindness to someone and it's... You're just not connecting in any way, then you might shift to somebody else. If the phrases are just like this pounding insistence in your head, they say, well, just drop them for a little while. Just sit quietly. Be with your breath. Be with what you're actually feeling. When you can pick it up again, pick it up. It's a practice of creativity and freedom. Even though the The primary anchor for our attention is the repetition of the phrase. There are also ways in which we might imagine this person that we're offering metta to. I have a friend, uh, Kamala Masters, who's another Vipassana teacher, another meditation teacher, and I was sitting there once when she was teaching metta, and she was saying that she was um, imagining her friend 
with this fantastic hat on, with this red feather coming out, and she went through this whole thing, and I thought, I would never do that in a million years. <laughs> you know, but we all find our ways of making it feel a little bit more alive. And most importantly, it's, it's really helpful to remember that in doing a practice like this, it doesn't matter what you feel. You may not feel these great waves of exaltation, forgiveness, love in the, in the conventional sense. It doesn't matter. Because what's happening in the gathering of our attention and the planting of this seed of intention is happening on a level far deeper and more subtle than we can normally perceive. So very, very often, it's not in the actual formal practice, it's in life that we see the results. My kind of classic example of that has to do with the first um, month when we opened the Insight Meditation Society. And those of us who were uh, beginning, beginning it, who were there at the time, decided to sit for a month just by ourselves. And uh, we didn't have a teacher. And I had often done metta practice as one does, you know, at the end of a, a mindfulness retreat or times like that. But I'd never done it systematically and intensively, though I knew how it was done through this progression. So I decided I was going to do it. And I spent the whole first week just offering metta to myself all day long, sitting, standing, walking, lying down, repeating those phrases. May I be happy. May I be peaceful. May I be liberated. And I felt nothing. I felt absolutely nothing. It was like the dreariest week imaginable. Then at the end of the week, something happened to someone in kind of our larger community in Boston so that several of us had to leave, and I had to leave. So I was upstairs in one of the bathrooms getting ready to go when I dropped a jar of something on the floor, and it it just shattered on the tile, and the stuff went everywhere. And I can remember the very first thought that came up in my mind was, you are really a klutz, but I love you. (laughs) and I thought look at that (laughs) you could have given me anything in the course of that week and I would not have been able to honestly say something was happening but something was happening it's often like that it's in life we find we're a little more patient with ourselves a little more forgiving we're a little more present with other people and then that deepens and it deepens you know so I would urge you to really enjoy this practice. Plant those seeds, let them go. You know, and then see, rather than do what we normally do, which is be on top of it all the time, like, is this love? I don't think it's love. Maybe it's not really love. Mm -hmm. Yesterday I had love. I had it for five minutes. I should have eight today. You know, it's like (laughs) everyone else is sitting here in bliss. And I'm, you know, but really it's like we don't need to do that. (laughs) Right from the beginning to have that, that sense of spaciousness and discovery will will really make it um, both a a much deeper, richer practice and also a lot more fun. So, okay, do you want to just stretch for a minute and then we'll sit? You're all sitting on what you'd like to be sitting on? (laughs) Everyone who who wants a chair has a chair and all that?
Well, the Buddha's first words, his first instruction about loving kindness was sit comfortably. It means sit comfortably physically and then sit comfortably in your hearts in the sense of you're not trying to contrive anything or manufacture anything or make anything special happen. But simply pay attention in a different way and see what happens. As I said, there's a lot of of freedom and flexibility in this practice. I'll suggest the traditional phrases. You can use them or alter them or discard them and use phrases of their own. It doesn't have to be a whole phrase. It can be a single word. But see if you can settle on something so that um, it provides the framework for your practice. You're not having to continually think of new things to say. And if at times you want to just let it go and sit and feel your breath, feel your body, be in the moment, that's also fine. The traditional phrases are, beginning with oneself, may I live in safety. May I have mental happiness. May I have physical happiness. May I live with ease. Or may I have ease of well-being, sometimes it's said. May I live in safety. May I have mental happiness. May I have physical happiness. May I live with ease. Sometimes people abbreviate that to may I live in safety, may I be happy, may I be healthy, may I live with ease. Remember, these aren't kind of, um, this isn't like ordering from a menu, you know. Uh, It's not like an insistence, you know, or a, a demand. And it's also not beseeching someone, God, an agency to provide this. This is really planting a seed of intention. This is giving ourselves a gift. This is a blessing so that we're using our attention in this way. May I live in safety. May I have mental happiness. May I have physical happiness. May I live with ease. You can use these or any other. Let your mind rest in the repetition of the phrases in a rhythm that's pleasing to you with enough space and enough silence. One of my friends once said that he thought he'd get extra credit for saying more phrases. So he used to say them really fast to try to get a lot in. You don't have to do that. This is like the song of the heart, you know. It's one phrase at a time with all of your energy gathered behind just this one phrase. And then the next, and then the next. And if you find your attention has wandered and you are far, far away, don't worry about it. It's inevitable. Use that moment to have some compassion for yourself. See if you can just gently let go and begin again. Let the phrases emerge from your heart one at a time. May I live in safety. Be happy. 
be peaceful. Live with ease. The Buddha said you can search the entire universe for someone who's more deserving of your love and affection than you are yourself. And that person is not to be found anywhere. You yourself deserve your love and affection more than anybody. So we begin with ourselves. Don't worry about what you're feeling or not feeling. Let your attention rest in the phrases. That's all you need to do. See if you can connect to just one phrase at a time. Don't worry about what's gone before. And don't worry about what's coming next.
maybe someone else comes to mind, and bring them forward. Someone you feel grateful to, someone you've been inspired by, someone who exemplifies a loving heart to you, the strength of that and the power of that. If it's somebody like that, get a feeling for their presence, get an image of them, or say their name to yourself. Offer the phrases of loving kindness to them, wishing for them just what it is you've wished for yourself. (coughs) May you live in safety, be happy, be healthy, live with ease, or whatever it might be. And for the last few minutes of the sitting, let's offer loving kindness to everyone here, which involves a whole variety of different relationships, those whom we might know quite well, those whom we don't know at all, and not forgetting ourselves. May we live in safety, be happy, be healthy, live with ease.
feel ready, you can open your eyes. Just relax.